Welcome to the Leader Byte Podcast, hosted by Chester Goat. Bite-sized conversations about leadership, learning, and life. Any topic is fair game here, because committed leaders bring it all to the table. Here's your host, Chester Goad. Hey, I'm very excited about today because we're going to be talking about some important things, some heavy things, but important things. I've got two special guests with me. Uh, I'll tell you about them in just a minute. But many people may not know this, but Southern Baptist Disaster Relief serves uh, more hot meals in disaster settings than any relief agency in this country. In fact, many of the meals provided by the Red Cross are prepared by volunteers uh, from Southern Baptist Relief. So, And uh, another thing people don't know is that most of the work that's done is done in the weeks after a disaster, and that's one of the things I really want to talk to these guys about. So we'll talk about relief efforts. We'll talk specifically a little bit about um, Hurricane Matthew and the flooding in Louisiana, but for now, I want to share a couple stats with you. In 2016 alone, 1,468,359 meals uh, have been prepared and served, and I'm sure that number is going up just as we speak. And then 1,765 yards have been cleaned. Um, Hundreds of children have received care. Hundreds of buildings have been repaired. Um, and SEND, the group that we'll be talking to today, uh, along with the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, uh, their efforts, they're involved in providing relief for hunger, for disasters, for medical relief, and they're even doing some things to stop human trafficking. So today I'm going to have with me um, the vice president of SEND. His name is David Milber. And David is originally from Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, several years ago, traded in the business world for a life of faith-based service and providing humanitarian relief. And along with him is Mickey Kaysen, who is executive director of Southern Baptist Disaster Relief. In fact, he's had a really long career in disaster relief. Mickey's been a leader um, in Southern, not only Southern Baptist uh, Disaster Relief, but also in volunteer communities and emergency management really across the country for many, many years. And so really thankful to have them. Welcome to both of you. I'm honored to talk to anyone who is passionate about leading and especially serving other people. Welcome. Hey, it's great to be here, Chester. We're excited to share about what's going on in the area of mercy and compassion and how we see sin relief lived out on a daily basis just across this country through through the lives of many volunteers seeing needs and meeting them on a daily basis. Oh, I'm really glad to talk to you about it. Now, I may bounce around a little bit, so bear with me and please jump in, either one of you, if you feel if you feel like it. My dad used to say, if you're feeling froggy, just jump, so so we can do that. But um, I'm going to start with David for just a second. Um, David, I suppose that leadership, you came from the business world originally, um, I suppose leadership in the business world is somewhat different from leadership for disaster and humanitarian relief, or is it? No, I, I say there's some principles that are timeless no matter where you're at, and then there are others that take on a little bit different shape when, say, we are serving in a disaster response setting. There is such a heart connect with many volunteers to the people that they're serving, and, and many times it is, uh, it, it is hurting a lot of different people in a somewhat of a common direction, but every volunteer there uh, is feeling out there living, living out there their heart's desire and how they would serve. So it's it's a little bit uh, as its unique challenges, but more importantly, seeing people connect with others in the midst of these tragedies is a great 
great opportunity to see their lives change. Absolutely, I believe it. Okay, so I read that since Hurricane Matthew, 573,000 meals have been served to Hurricane Matthew survivors, 13 mobile kitchens along the East Coast from Florida and North Carolina. Um, sometimes it seems like, and this is just an outsider who I don't work in, in relief efforts, but um, sometimes it, it's like, does the country or the world seem to forget about a tragedy or disaster afterward? I know your organization exists to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, but, uh, you know, everyone else seems to sometimes pull out, but you guys seem to stick right in there. What sort of work is going on right now um, for the people who are affected by Matthew? Well, right now, there, there's a lot of the work that's kind of after the initial disaster. I mean, it's it's beyond just mudding out of a home. It's starting to help in rebuilding efforts or helping to get people where their homes can be rebuilt. But as you as you follow our news cycle, you know when a disaster happens, it may be in the news cycle for a day or two, but it's gone. And a lot of times we see others uh, that are there for a short time. And the Southern Baptist, we have... We have always wanted to be those that we want to arrive and be there as first as as we can, and we want to stay there until the job is done. Sure, yeah. Um, and sometimes, I mean, did that does this take years even? Uh, absolutely. There, you know, in some of the larger disasters, we've had people on site. I mean, literally three years, five years later, uh, still helping people put their lives back together after losing everything. Gotcha. Give give the listeners an idea how many people work for your organization, and then an idea maybe how many volunteers you engage. I don't know on a yearly basis, or you know, just kind of give us a rough idea. As far as the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief Network, and that's comprised of those that are parts of conventions all over this country and Canada, we have somewhere around seventy to 80,000 trained volunteers wow. that get deployed, uh, you know, when each one can in various disasters. So we have a, a large network of a lot of people. Of course, we need that because, of, you know, not everyone can respond to a disaster in California that could respond to one, say, in North Carolina right now. Sure. Hey, Mickey, are there, um, uh, David touched on it just a little bit, but are there specific challenges related to leading large groups of volunteers? I mean, how do leaders in those situations maintain their own team mentality, their own morale, you know, their own self-care uh, in these situations? It's got to be uh, take a physical or emotional toll on them. Well, it does. It, the, the opportunity to be in leadership goes back to your own self-care, where you have fleshing out your own personal relationship with the Lord. And in that process, you're taking care of yourself, and then you're focusing on the responsibilities. And the greater the incident, the greater the event, the more focused you become on the task, on the responsibility. Leadership's job is to engage the volunteers to give them the opportunity to serve. And if leaders are doing what they should do, then the volunteers are going to have a good experience. They're going to accomplish a great deal of work, and the survivors of an event are going to be helped greatly and, and given hope to face the future as that process goes on. 
Sure, sure. I was actually talking to my wife about this subject of leading in the midst of, I told her, I said, you know, how do you lead in the midst of ugliness? You know, there's just so much ugliness in the world right now. And leadership is one thing and leading a, a business or leading a group or a team. But when you add ugliness into the mix, you add hunger and disaster and trouble and strife and war and just all these different things. You add those things to the mix, uh, the trafficking, um, you know, is it is it a different type of leadership? Is it a different type of person that's needed for that kind of work? Well, I, I think what happens is you become hyper-focused on the responsibility and the task at hand. But a part of that is not only do you get to see a survivor or a, a person that is impacted by an event, not only do you see them gain hope, but you see a volunteer that is doing what they feel they're called to do and demonstrating the love of Christ in a very positive way. They're fleshing out their own personal relationship, but they're giving hope to others. And, and volunteers that do the kind of work we do feed off of that. They will go home exhausted, but they often will talk about what a great experience it was to be able to help someone at the, the point that they were able to accomplish the tasks they were assigned. Absolutely. Well, um, so what sort of help is needed right now? What can people do if they're listening uh, or if they're reading about this? What are some ways that they can help? Well, there's always that need of finances. Uh, the business that we're in is very expensive. But you have opportunities to volunteer as well. Uh, you go to an event and assist. Uh, many of our units are working and they will take what we call spontaneous volunteers or event volunteers. And then another one for us often is to be a prayer for the leaders specifically. Mm. They'll have wisdom and discernment and understanding of how to accomplish the task. Sometimes you have to get outside of the box. And in our world, we become uncomfortable when we're outside of the box in that unknown territory. But to accomplish what we need to accomplish, that's a task that we have to take on. Sure, absolutely. Um, I want to briefly touch on this issue, um, David and Mickey, about um, human trafficking. I know it's not our primary topic, and I hope that at some point maybe we can talk about that again more in depth. But I'd love to um, to really just touch on I, I, I read on the SEND website that 2.5 million people are trafficked every year. What What is SEND doing toward ending that or helping those people who are trapped in that? How is SEND leading in those efforts? Well, Chester, there's several ways. Primarily, the, our first step is creating awareness around any kind of human need and issue like this. So in human trafficking, while perhaps you may be aware or many may be aware of this going on, we have thousands of people across this country that are not aware of this that it actually happens in the United States. We hear about it in other countries. So first, creating that awareness. Secondly, as Sin Relief, we come alongside and we provide simple action steps on here's what you can do, here's how you can get involved in that. If you've never been involved, here's your first baby steps on how you can begin to not only just be aware of human trafficking, but take your first steps in coming alongside and seeing these people just released and rescued out of this horrible industry. And then not only do we provide these action steps, but we also, we want to celebrate success stories. And, you know, right now in this country, there are many places across this country 
that are doing incredible work in the area of human trafficking, and we want to be able to tell their success story and tell the story about how you know, a, a young lady in Louisville had a burden for this five or six years ago and how she was able to start a nonprofit that has numerous churches volunteering with her, and they're seeing girls rescued out of the entertainment industry week after week. So again, it's sin relief. We want to create awareness. Here's a problem. You may not be aware of it. You may not mm-hmm. be aware that it actually happens in your own city. Here's a simple plan of action on how you can take your first steps or how your church can take your, their first steps to meet this need. And then we want to be the national mouthpiece and tell the successes of how people are having their lives changed because of people living their life on mission Mm-hmm. Uh, recognizing these human needs. Absolutely. And, you know, I think you're right. Until you realize how local this is, um, we had, um, there was some sort of raid in our county. This has been a year or so ago. And it, literally, it was probably three or four miles from my house uh, where um, there was a business that was somehow involved in these human trafficking schemes. And you just think people don't really think it's right around your corner, but it is. That's absolutely correct, Chester. We had here in Alpharetta, where we are located, just within the last month, there was a big sting operation where numerous people were arrested. And here, here's trafficking taking place in a suburban area that many would say this would be one of the safest places to live anywhere in the United States, yet trafficking goes on here. Wow. Maybe we can explore that some more in another uh, another time. Um, so I think it's very important, and, and I'm just really, really interested in getting the word out, so I'd love to talk to you about that some more. Um, yep. Not everyone, though, is wired for a life spent in a humanitarian way like you gentlemen. <laughs> Not everyone is, is wired that way or, or living, being able to live in the epicenter of a disaster or in the epicenter of grief. What would you say to those, though, whose hearts are geared toward that and specifically to leaders who are interested in doing those kind of things? What do they need to be doing to prepare for that? And how can they, um, how can they get plugged in to do those kind of things? I think there's several ways. One, you know, get the appropriate training. If there's a certain kind of training that you need to be involved with disaster relief or, you know, any other kind of effort, number one, have that training. You know, the training is very important on how do you cope with grief, how do you cope with seeing, you know, even if you feel prepared to be in this uh, arena, if you will, when you see devastation and loss, it weighs heavily upon you. So Mm -hmm. there's got to be the preparation on the front end. But not only for those that feel called to be into this, you know, we want to see others, you know, just take that step and, you know, just be exposed to this because at some point every one of us had not served in a mercy or compassion or a disaster response. We've all had our first time to ever serve there. So even if someone may think they're not prepared for that, You know, we would love to say, hey, there's a way you can get involved and just try this and see if the Lord has gifted you and has given you a heart. Because many times, as we see, people get involved where their heart's connected. Mm -hmm. And our hearts get connected by seeing people face-to-face in their greatest time of need. And it is some of the rewarding parts of life 
to really make a difference in the life of another person mm-hmm. by meeting their need at their time of deepest crisis. Absolutely. I was telling someone recently, you know, it's don't don't let the issue or the problem get in the way. Focus on connecting with people. Yeah, absolutely. That is the, you know, because I think, you know, we were just talking about human trafficking. A lot of times people say, goodness, I can't get involved in that. I wouldn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I'll say the Lord equips us as we go, as we step out in obedience and faith to this, but we have to take a step. And it is some of the most rewarding journey that anyone could be on to find real purpose and meaning in living out their faith, sharing that faith with others, especially in the times of their greatest need. Mm, people people need hope. They do. They need hope. Um, let me ask you, uh, both of you, this question. Um, what do you think is the greatest challenge facing leaders, leaders in general, today? I, I think really is a keeping a focus and a direction, helping people see that there are needs and opportunities Casting the vision so that they are in, can see it and understand it and then engaging them. Uh, Chester, you don't have to go to some other part of the world to do this. Mm. These opportunities are in your own community and they're around you. Uh, just opening your eyes, looking at opportunities, how you can engage those needs in your community, whether it's someone down the street or someone in a local school uh, and supporting a system within a school or those types of things. So. Uh, those would be my thoughts. Okay. How about you, David? Uh, I think mission clarity. You know, I think I think whether you're in a secular position, mm. whether you're in a ministry position, perhaps even if you're a pastor at a church, mission clarity has to be the thing that leaders are focused upon. I think, you know, in many times you see you see examples of ministries or entities that fail and more often than not, what I would say happens, they, they kind of get their eye off the ball. They lose their mission focus and their clarity of purpose. And when, when people are following a leader with lack of clarity, they, they disengage. Mm. When, we're serving, when we're serving people in need and we do not have mission clarity, we do not serve those people well. So I think you know, the most important thing is a clear sense of mission clarity in whatever you're doing. Without that, you're not going to engage the volunteer, and without that, you're not going to be able to meet the needs of those you're serving. That's a great point. Mission clarity, I like that. Uh, tell me how uh, people can find you all. Uh, how can they connect with you all? How can they learn more about your organizations? What are some ways that they can do that? Uh, the, the primary way, I would say at this point, you know, go to our website. It's at nam.net forward slash send relief. And many of the communications will be kind of driven out through that website. And as far as as we get connected with people and as we hear about best practices and, you know, good ministries that are going on in various parts of the country, we want to come alongside and tell that story, tell that success so others could be inspired so that they would take those first steps in seeing an awareness for a human need and taking those steps to meet that need right in their own community and even in national projects such as a response like Hurricane Matthew. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much for hanging out with me a little bit today. I appreciate your time. Uh, okay, everybody, that's David Melver from SEND and Mickey Kaysen, Executive Director of Southern Baptist Disaster Relief. We appreciate their time and their hearts. They've spent their lives leading and serving, and I hope that you've heard something that inspires you to do the same and bring hope to other people. Keep learning, keep living, find a way to make a difference, and give all your best all the time. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for listening to the Leader Bite Podcast, bite-sized conversations about leadership, learning, and life. Keep the conversation going at chestergo.com or on your favorite social media because leadership is a conversation worth having.